Welcome to the All In for Citrus podcast, the latest on citrus research from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of the All In for Citrus podcast. I am your host, Taylor Hillman. A little housekeeping before we get started today. The COVID-19 virus is changing how things are operating around the nation. It's important to note that my first interview in this podcast was done on March 20th. You can go to UFIFAS's website or the CREC facility's website for the latest information on their operations. Now here's today's episode. As always, we are going to start off this podcast with Dr. Michael Rogers, Center Director for the Citrus Research and Education Center. Uh, Dr. Rogers, I'll be honest, we did this recording beforehand, mostly on an event that we were um, excited about and talking to you about. And like many other events around the country, it's been affected by COVID-19. Lots of events have been canceled or postponed, this one as well. So we're redoing this. Um, how are you guys handling um, some of this as it comes out and some of the kind of fluid situation that we see? Yes, well, definitely. I think uh, c- calling this a fluid situation is very accurate. Things are changing constantly for us. But, but one of the things I want to point out from the beginning is that despite the fact that we have canceled all of our events around the state um, and I, our IFAS-sponsored events through the end of April, um, our IFAS operations continue to remain open. And our work continues on despite all the other changes that are happening around us. Um, I will say that if, you know, we've had some folks who've um, come to some of our research centers or extension offices around the state. One of the things that you'll notice is that um, the facilities are all of our facilities statewide are, are closed to visitors. And so that's a little bit different. Um, but we're, we're having to do that not only to protect the health of the public, but but also the health of our employees and their families. So we can continue for the time uh, continuing to do our work and provide services uh, to our clientele. But but things are going to be different in how we do that. Yeah, definitely. I think you see a lot of uh uh, education and government agencies looking at ways to continue service. Um, so you guys obviously are going to rely probably a lot more on telework and the internet. So talk about how you're going to utilize some of that moving forward. What we're going to be doing, uh, we've already started doing since we're, we're not doing events around the state or having visitors come in. Um, we're, we are relying on technology uh, to get the job done. For example, there's there's cases where growers need continuing education units, uh, CEUs for pesticide applicators license and, and things like that. Um, some of our growers in Florida have probably received emails from their county agents where we're making those those opportunities available online um, where people can work from their office and earn those credits. And um, so that, that's just one example of something we're doing. But but also there's a lot of events that we had planned where we're, we want to get the latest research information out to growers. And so we're looking at ways right now uh, to adjust the delivery of that information, put it online in ways that, that people can go online and, and, and view a presentation or view the information so things don't halt. Um, because, you know, one of the things I heard just today um, was that the, the federal government included agriculture as one of the essential sectors that has to keep functioning for our, our economy and our nation despite COVID-19. So. You know, just as, as our country depends on our, our growers for a constant supply of food, um, in IFAS, we, re, we remain dedicated to continuing to get that information out to our growers and, and our other clientele in the industry that, that 
that we have information that can help them help others. And so um, we're going to be looking at alternative ways to get that information out. Um, and I'll also mention that uh, one thing that you can do uh, for growers, all of our information, things that are going to be available online, we're going to put and make those announcements in our All In for Citrus newsletter, uh, which goes out monthly. It may even go out more often than that. And I just wanted to mention that if, if growers currently aren't receiving our newsletter, uh, you can go online and sign up for that via email. And if you'll go to citrusresearch.ifis.ufl.edu, um, you scroll down uh, towards the bottom of that page. There's the, the uh, section for our citrus newsletter. And if you click on the link that says read more, it'll take you to another screen where you can then um, sign up for that newsletter. And so we hope folks will do that because that's one way to, to stay in touch and find out what we're putting out, even though we're not meeting in person, but you can still get the latest up-to-date information because our research does continue. Yeah, and we will uh, put a link to sign up for that newsletter as well in this post when we post this podcast episode. And that's, a, that's something that everyone's kind of looking at here is disseminating information on a different level because that's the stage we're in now. Um, but you're right in the fact that uh, agriculture is still working during this and they have to because they provide food to all of us. So uh, you guys feel it's really important to stay there and be supportive to this industry that you guys serve. Yes, absolutely. And, and while we're here, we're having to do things differently. And I think, as I mentioned before, you know, the research continues on right now. Um, things are changing daily, but um, and until we're told um, from another, you know, from the state level that we have to shut down, uh, you know, we're, we're continuing to work because uh, UF and IFAS is, is dedicated to continuing to operate. But when we do so, we, we've had to make a lot of changes even in, internally how we're operating because, um, you know, we, you hear a lot about social distancing, for example. Um, that's something that we're, we're paying a lot of attention to because we don't want to put our, the health of our employees or others in danger. And so, you know, whether it's working in the laboratories or, or traveling to fields to take data from our, our field trials, um, you know, we're reducing the number of people who are in contact with each other, uh, doing, doing all the right steps we can to try to make sure that we keep people safe and healthy and we can continue our work for as long as possible. But, but you know, if that day comes where we're told that, you know, it's kind of a, a all-shelter type situation in the state, we're still looking at ways that there's there's still critical things that have to get done in our research operations. For example, um, our plant breeding program, uh, those breeders have spent decades developing new varieties. Uh, there's a lot of plant material in greenhouses. That's, that's the future of our citrus industry. And those have to be watered and cared for daily. So we're working on contingency plans to find out how we can continue to care for those critical things we just can't afford to lose. And so um, we're still figuring out how we're going to do it, but rest assured, it's going to get done. And we're going to have to make adjustments um, probably as things change and they are changing daily. But uh, but at the, again, at this time, the research continues and we continue to plan for all the what if scenarios going forward uh, because we're going to make sure things continue to get done. It's Good to know you guys are still uh, up and running and looking at some of that stuff. I'm sure the industry really appreciates it. Dr. Michael Rogers, thank you for your time today. And we hope that uh, everybody will keep a lookout for your e-newsletter and uh, everything else that comes out um, uh, as far as the internet basis. And uh, thank you so much for the information. Okay, thank you. We're going to head now to an interview with uh, root biology professor Lorenzo Rossi. Lorenzo, thanks for taking some time for us today. 
Oh, thank you for calling me. Um, one of the interesting things that, uh, as I was reading some of your research, is the importance of, of root traits. And that's really kind of what you're looking at here is you're, you're looking at roots and finding which, which roots in different rootstocks could be better or more efficient. That's, I mean, that's the overall encompassing look here, right? Yes, because, you know, root traits are, are, are really important when we talk about nutrients uptake. So different root system can lead to different uptake of nutrients. So, Root traits are something we, we study in details, and we want to see how this changing in root traits also affect changing in nutrients uptake from plants. So how do you find that out? How do you measure those traits? Um, we use two different methods. We have rides of boxes in the greenhouse for small studies. So we use small seedlings, and for those studies, we take pictures every month of the root system architecture and we measure root diameters, root angles, and because there are, there are elements in the soil like nitrogen, they're really mobile. So the root system architecture is not really affecting the uptake of these um, elements. But there are other elements like uh, phosphorus. They're, they're, they're not moving into the soil. And so having roots in a specific location of the soil, having more roots, will mean that the plants will be able to uptake more of that specific nutrients, of the specific phosphorus, for example. And so we do that in the greenhouse, studying the whole root system of seedlings with these transparent uh, pots, riser boxes. And we do the same in the field, but of course we cannot have a transparent field so we we use the transparent tubes and those transparent tubes goes inside in the soil and we have a camera a scanner that goes inside those tubes and take pictures of of the roots that are growing around the tubes and so ideally um certain root stocks right the how they are how their traits how they look how they grow would the roots would be um, better at handling the impact that Huang Longbing has on them. That's the idea, right? That's the idea, yes. To, the, to, to identify root traits that can help in uptaking more nutrients because the nutrients imbalance in the plant is one of the main problems of HLB. The other thing is that as of today, we don't really have any nutritional guidelines for citrus because everything on citrus was written before HLB. So the nutrients requirement now are completely different from the nutrients that the, that the citrus required um, 20 years ago. And so we are working with um, uh, citrus horticulturists um, and citrus physiologists to, to, to create new guidelines and new fertilization guidelines for citrus under HLB. And those guidelines will be correlate with citrus health, root health, um, and, and nutrients uptake. That's good. So those, so those guidelines can be developed in, a, in, in coordination with which ones of these root stocks, these roots, would be the most beneficial for that. Yes. Very good. Let's talk a little bit more about that trial. You guys have a large 
trial you're doing right now um, and you're t- you're you're basically measuring these roots um, monthly, daily, weekly. How often are you measuring these roots? Uh, we are measuring them monthly using these root tubes. They're called mini rhizotrons. So we are taking pictures of root growth and development on a monthly basis, and we are collecting all these pictures and we are tracing the roots. So we every month we see. If some roots are dead, if some roots are growing, if the roots are not growing. So we have three different um, checks. So uh, number, number of dead roots, number of new roots, number of no roots. So if there are no, no growth or if there is a lot of root growth or the, of the roots are, are dead. Now, you guys are also looking at um, mulching compost and cover crops, sticking with mulching. You told me that you guys had an, an interesting find on a certain type of mulch. Yes, there's been a lot of talking about oak extract, especially for citrus that are um, growing close to oak or amoks here in the, in the river. And, um, and what we did and what we are, we are still doing, we, we, are, we are using oak mulch and, uh, and we saw that there is a change in the pH. So the pH in the soil is, is a little bit acidic. Um, and there, the other thing we see is that uh, the nutrients are more available. So the, the, the oak mulch is increasing the nutrients availability for, for the plants. We haven't seen yet any change in, in um, the disease. So the HLB is still there and we didn't see any change in the HLB tighter the bacteria tighter interesting and you guys are also um launching a uh, study into cover crops you told me a little bit about that let's go over that what what's the idea here with cover crops the idea be, um is that um soil health is is um is a really important part of my program uh particularly what what is called the rhizosphere so the rhizosphere is that part of the soil that is um, close to the roots. So it's the part of the soil that the roots can explore, and that's called rhizosphere. Um, this rhizosphere is not only nutrients, it's also organic matters, is uh, bacteria, what they call the microbiome. So we are trying to restore that soil health using using crops, using cover crops. Those co- this is not intercropping. So we are not growing another crop that goes in competition with the citrus. We are growing a crop, mostly legumes, that can help in restoring the health and, and of the soil, and they can increase the organic substance in the soil, and can also help in nitrogen, because legumes help with the nitrogen fixation. And so the idea is to have um, a cover crop study here at the center really soon. We have been talking about that in, in the last two months, and, and we are ready, we are ready to, to start. And in it, together with cover crops, we would like to also study the compost. So that's another, that's another idea here at the center we are doing with Dr. Wright and, 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 and Dr. Guzman. Uh, mostly on, she is mostly on irrigation. Dr. Wright is our soil and water sciences. And, uh, and of course, uh, we want to see a different type of mulch too. So how these natural compounds 
are are going to help a citrus grove that that's question that's the question we have so basically you guys are looking you know kind of all encompassing here you guys are looking at getting the healthiest soil you can the most nutritious rhizosphere and then get the best roots that can take advantage of those nutrients to combat the effects of HLB yes because we we are aware that we are not going to kill the HLB we are not going to have a silver bullet so we are trying to keep the citrus in production we are trying to keep the industry going increasing the the soil and the rhizosphere health well i think growers appreciate you looking at that because it'll help them stay afloat so thank you for your time today lorenzo i really appreciate it thank you Okay, we're now going to talk about some weed issues with uh, weed scientist Ramdas Kanisari. Uh, Ramdas, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much, Taylor. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Let's just start off um, when we were looking at uh, talking about some of your research. You use the term herbicide synergy. So let's let's talk about that. What is herbicide synergy? Sure. So, you know, when you think about Florida citrus production, uh, Weeds flourish in citrus tree lines and tree rows because there is constant supply of moisture, there is constant supply of nutrients. So weeds are very happy and healthy there. So, uh, you know, typically or traditionally growers utilize uh, a post-emergent program where they apply herbicides when the weeds emerge. And uh, typically they do three to four times of applications a year to manage these weeds in the tree row area. Uh, but uh, there are, you know, post-emergence works great, but it's only a temporary solution for a permanent issue because most of these weeds we see in Florida citrus, that they are heavy seed setters, for example, pigweed or amaranth or Spanish needle. They uh, can produce, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of seeds per plant. So by the time they get managed, they will already create a seed bank in the soil which can be a potential problem for the coming seasons. So what we are trying to, you know, try here is to utilize a pre-emergent residual herbicide program. Residual herbicides or pre-emergent herbicides means they manage the seeds. They don't, uh, you know, uh, they don't let the seeds to germinate. So they are basically block the seed uh, emergence. Not only that, what we're trying to see is the synergy between several herbicide herbicide products, especially uh, pre-emergent herbicide products. Because, you know, when we mix different types of uh, herbicides, uh, you get a broader spectrum of uh, uh, control. For example, we mix herbicides with different modes of action in a tank mix when we apply that. So there are several advantages for this type of applications. You can cut down the rate of pre-emergent herbicides, not only that. Uh, you can get an extended uh, period of control. For example, some of the programs we are trying, synergy programs we are evaluating here, uh, we can get a four to five months of uh, weed control. So the hope is to do only two times of application per year for a complete control over the year. Uh, not only that, you know, you can, uh, you're basically using two modes of action, two types of chemistries in this application. So it's basically double whammy on the weed. If one weed escapes a chemistry, there is always another chemistry in the soil that prevents its emergence. So it's a win-win situation, and we are finding uh, a lot of uh, success in. Uh, we are trying out different combinations, and we are uh, 
trying to provide this information, this initial results into our growers and growers are trying it and they are finding success as well. Sounds like a, a good way to look at it uh, for several different reasons. Um, you mentioned the environment there in Florida. It can be pretty challenging to manage weeds just in general. What are some of the other weeds out there that um, are, are causing some issues? I know there's a there's a grass and a goat weed too. You got some resistance issues in some of those? Yeah, so um, uh, there is no resistance per se. There are, uh, I, to my uh, uh, information, we don't have any documented resistant weeds, resistant herbicide, but there are a lot, a lot of tolerance issues. Again, this brings back to the use of same type of herbicide over and over, you know, three to four types of application per year. So, you know, uh, non-judicious use of such herbicides create a lot of tolerance issues. What happens, you know, over time, that the weeds get, you know, tolerant to that type of herbicide. So one example is a guinea grass. Uh, we are seeing a lot of guinea grass issue. It's a grassy weed and it's a very extent, you know, it, its roots are really uh, extensive and can suck a lot of moisture and nutrients from the soil that should be otherwise available for your citrus tree. So, and not only that, this tree grows neck and neck with the citrus trees, making its uh, management very challenging. So, uh, one, uh, that's one example. Then we have goat weeds, then pig weeds, Spanish needle, all those sort of weeds. You know, they're they're getting it is getting really difficult to manage them. So uh, some of the uh, ma- management strategies include. I like to call it as an integrated weed management, where uh, we utilize different tools from the weed management toolbox. Maybe for uh, guinea grass, we basically utilize a. Uh, mechanical cutting combined with a sport spraying of herbicides to initially manage them, the emerged ones. Then we will go back to a pre-emergent or residual program to uh, prevent its um, emergence. And, you know, basically, uh, you know, it takes some time and patience from the grower side, but uh, we should be able to achieve it, you know, for a complete control. Yes. And and thank you for correcting me. Tolerance, not resistance. So very good on that. You're also doing um, some research at looking at making sure you don't hurt the trees here and, and different ways to do that, right? That's right. So again, when it comes to a, a weed management, uh, when you think about that, you're trying to manage a number of plants in a planting system, in a cropping system. So there is every possible ways to hurt that crop or your you know desirable plan while you're doing that uh, so i'm looking we're looking at uh, several ways to do it in a very safe way because you know uh, most of the herbicide when you apply that in the tree line or tree rows there is a chance drift can happen it can go and uh, hurt your trees leaves uh, fruits and things like that Apart from that, whatever material you're applying, the chemicals can stay in the soil, persist in the soil, and could be uptake by the citrus trees and any, you know, subsequent uh, health impacts could occur. So we are looking at all those possibilities. So we want to make sure the weeds are controlled in a very crop safe, a tree safe way without hurting the productivity or without hurting the tree health. So there are some uh, evaluations we are doing on several uh, popular citrus herbicides to look at their impacts on the citrus root growth, especially uh, in this HLV era, uh, root health is very important. So we are making sure none of the chemicals we are putting is impacting on the uh, root health and root growth and also productivity, fruit set, fruit drop, things like that. So uh, we are seeing some, uh, you know, um, results and we have to do it uh, in the repeated seasons and different locations to get a scientific, uh, you know, evidence for that. And 
whenever uh, there is a new observation or results, we will uh, try to pass it on to the growers and uh, for a judicious and uh, crop safe uh, application of herbicide. Yeah, that's interesting. So, so weeds, aside from weeds, you know, competing for resources with your crop and tree, um, it's also having some effects on on the roots of the tree too? Yeah, so uh, weeds and having weeds in the citrus groves can hurt, uh, you know, the trees and the crop production in a several ways. Especially as you uh, as you have mentioned, uh, there will be competition for nutrients, moisture, things like that. It can impede with the growth operations, horticultural operations, harvesting. Not only that, uh, we have heard about uh, having weeds, you know, uh, you know, impeding or obstructing the irrigation, sprinkler irrigations, and and and, and you know things like that. And and so yeah, it, it, there may be some effects on the roots as well, especially uh, the weed I mentioned earlier, inigras. When it comes, uh, when it grows neck and neck with the tree uh, near the tree, it can uh, have some effects on the weed spread and growth and the moisture. I mean the nutrient availability and things like that. So yes, you know we you know you know apart from that, uh, uh, we are finding some evidence that having weeds or managing the weeds in a citrus grow can help improve silid control as well. So uh, that's something we have a new project, uh, an ongoing project, and we published a paper on that. Uh, our research group comprises of uh, researchers from uh, UFIFAS and USDA for peers. And we have some very interesting results. Uh, and we found that uh, the silids, the, the vector for uh, HLB, uh, can utilize some of the weeds, popular citrus weeds, as a way station uh, when there is a stress in uh, in the citrus grove. That's very interesting. So one more reason to uh, try and keep your uh, grove weed free, then. Yes, yes, exactly. So you know, having a having a very clean weed or adequate weed management in your citrus grove has a lot of perks. You know, and and we have some observations that having a clean weed, uh, weed, I mean, clean uh, weed free. Uh, under tree area can also improve the yield as well. So there are all advantages. Yeah, very good. Well, thanks you for the update, Ramdas. I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today. Sure. Thank you very much, Taylor. Thanks for having me. And thanks again to all three of our guests on today's episode. Remember that due to the COVID-19 situation, you can find the latest information on operations at both UF IFAS and the CREC facility on their websites. And we'll be back next month. Thanks for listening to this month's All In for Citrus podcast from the University of Florida Institute of Food and Agricultural Sciences statewide citrus team in partnership with Southeast Agnet Radio Network.